Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Folks, we're teetering on what could be an economic meltdown, threatening to wash away our savings and retirement. Inflation has surged to levels unseen in 40 years. Gold is the smartest and most responsible investment you can make for you and your family in times like these. A safe haven asset that protects your purchasing power and your wallet from inflation. When it comes to protecting your IRA or 401k, trust only the best. My friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold has earned the highest trust ratings in the precious metals industry and builds relationships based on integrity, expertise, and impeccable service. Get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit protectwithlou.com today or give them a call at 844-6484-LOU. Don't wait. Take control of your retirement today. Call 844-6484. 84-L-O-U and speak with one of their experts. Time is of the essence. Protect your future with Allegiance Gold. Visit protectwithlou.com or call 844-648-4LOU. Hello everybody, I'm Lou Dobbs and welcome to The Great America Show. Great to have you with us. More developments today in the House Oversight Committee's investigation of President Biden Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer revealing the committee discovered a $40,000 check that President Biden's brother sent to Joe after the money had been laundered from money the crime family received from China. Here's Chairman Comer. Not only did he lie about his son Hunter making money in China, but it also turns out that $40,000 in laundered China money landed in Joe Biden's bank account in the form of a personal check. And the Oversight Committee has it. Here's how Joe Biden benefited from his family's shady deal with CEFC, a Chinese Communist Party-linked company. It all began with a shakedown in the summer of 2017, when Hunter Biden sent a message to his CEFC associate demanding a $10 million capital payment. As Hunter Biden extorted this associate, Hunter claimed he was sitting with his father and that the Biden network would turn on his associate if he didn't pony up the money. The extortion scheme worked. Days later, $5 million flowed in from a Chinese affiliate of CEFC. Over the following three weeks, Biden family members made a series of complicated financial transactions to hide the source of the China money. This is the second personal check to Joe Biden that Comer's committee has uncovered so far. Earlier this month, they found a $200,000 check sent from James to Joe Biden. The check to Joe was sent on the same day that James received a $200,000 transfer from troubled rural hospital company AmeriCorps by pledging to use his political connections to secure a Middle East investor. More sketchy Biden foreign business dealings. FBI Director Christopher Wray on Capitol Hill this week, taking a much-needed break from terrorizing President Trump and his supporters 
to talk about real terrorism and terrorists, Hamas. Ray issued a warning in his threats to the Homeland Senate testimony, warning that Hamas and other foreign terrorist organizations could use the ongoing Israel-Hamas conflict as a pretext to conduct attacks here in America. But as I said a few moments ago, on top of the homegrown violent extremist and domestic violent extremist threat, we also cannot and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. We have kept our sights on Hamas and have multiple ongoing investigations into individuals affiliated with that foreign terrorist organization. It's nice to see the FBI director addressing real terrorist threats, not some folks who just protested a rigged election or parents and grandparents defending their students at a school board meeting. In a new analysis by the New York Post billionaire and Marxist mega donor George Soros has reportedly given more than $15 million to anti-Israel pro-Hamas protest organizations since 2016. As I said yesterday, Soros is the root of much of the evil in American politics and much of the world as well. The world's richest man, Elon Musk, and now probably America's second most investigated behind President Trump, was on a podcast this week with Joe Rogan. Elon calling out Soros for what he is. He said Soros fundamentally hates humanity and is doing all he can to destroy Western civilization. In my opinion, he fundamentally hates humanity. That's my opinion. Really? Yeah. I mean, well, he's doing things that erode the fabric of civilization. You know, uh, getting DAs elected who refuse to prosecute crime. That's part of the problem in San Francisco and L.A. and much other cities. So why would you do that? Was it humanity or is it just the United States as a whole? I mean, he's, I mean, he's doing pushing things places. in other countries, too. He's not doing just the here. same thing? Yeah. Now, George at this point is pretty old. I mean, he's not, uh, you know, he's basically a bit senile at this point. But, I mean, he, he, he and, and he's, he, he's, a, he's very smart. Um, and he's very good at arbitrage. You know, famously, he uh, shorted the British pound. That's sort of how I, uh, I think he made his first uh, money was shorting the pound. Um, so he's, he's good at spotting, uh, basically arbitrage, like spotting value for money that other people don't see. So uh, one of the things he noticed was that in it, it, that that the value for money in local races is much higher than it is in national races. So the lowest value for money is a presidential race. Then next lowest value for money is a Senate race, then a Congress, and then. But once you get to sort of city and state district attorneys. Um, the value of money is extremely good. And uh, Soros realized that you don't actually need to change the laws. You just need to change how they're enforced. If nobody chooses to enforce the law or the laws are differentially enforced, it's like changing the laws. Welcome to the fight, Elon Musk. And joining us now, a man who stays in the fight, the CEO of Our Country, Our Choice, Colonel Doug McGregor. Doug, great to have you with us here. I want to first get your assessment where the conflict is right now in Gaza and its implications. Well, uh, I think we're at the beginning of uh, what could potentially be a regional war for the moment. Israel is focused primarily on Hamas and annihilating it. And sadly, it sounds like the population of Gaza along with it. 
And at the same time, they've uh, harnessed us to protect their northern border in the event that Hezbollah attacks. So that far, that far in advance, the Israelis have thought. But in truth, it's it's growing very rapidly into a regional conflict. <clears throat> the Turks, uh, the Iranians, all of the Muslim Arab states uh, reaching into North Africa, of course, with Egypt. In fact, I would argue that all the Muslim states from Morocco to Indonesia are upset with what the Israelis are doing in Gaza because they see it as disproportionate and they also see it as a collective punishment and they don't particularly care for that. And I think that they're reaching the point where they're willing to take action collectively against Israel. I don't know that the, the nations that you just mentioned, uh, the Muslim nations, uh, their militaries don't really add up to much in, in terms of uh, if uh, the United States is supporting Israel. And I want to take that question up with you. Just to what degree is this administration supporting Israel, but against the firepower of just say the Eisenhower uh, and uh, and Gerald Ford carrier strike groups? Uh, that's a lot of power, as you well know. Uh, and I understand that amongst those nations, Turkey has the strongest military. Well, it's actually more than Turkey. I think we grossly underestimate Iran. Mm -hmm. Iran has an enormous arsenal of very sophisticated and accurate theater and tactical ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, and also unmanned systems or drones. Uh, all of their theater ballistic missiles have a range of about 1,200 miles. This means that all of Israel is literally within the range of their forces. Uh, they don't have much of a ground force, but they do have... Uh, Shiite militias all over Iraq and Syria that are obviously poised to uh, contribute as needed and obviously to attack us. I think uh, Turkey is probably the 500 pound gorilla in the room. They have an enormous army and within a month, month and a half, they could put 2 million men into the field. They have a very sizable naval force, over a hundred ships. Uh, their submarines and the Israeli submarines are identical. They have German uh, built diesel electric submarines are of very high quality and they're almost uh, undetectable in shallow water and difficult to find in deep water. They do have cruise missiles and of course they have quite a fleet of drones. They have one of the largest collection of drones over 500 in one fleet of any country in the world. And I think that uh, we should keep in mind that Pakistan has made it very clear that if the uh, Turks need it, they will provide nuclear warheads to them. It could be used to both deter Israel or strike back at Israel as necessary. I don't think that I would write off the Egyptians. <clears throat> the Egyptians have a large force. They're trying to bring three or four divisions up to full strength. They want to put uh, probably 200,000 men uh, with equipment on the Egyptian border. And again, you know, General Sisi in Egypt is not interested in a war. But he may not have much choice in the matter because his population is enraged and they want action taken to protect the Arab population of Gaza, which most of the Muslim world sees as being systematically murdered by the Israelis. Whether or not that's true doesn't matter. That's the way they see it. 
And I think, you know, the Saudis, the Emirates will certainly support uh, in whatever ways that they can. The Jordanians obviously are very much like the Egyptians. They're not interested in a war, but they too may not have much choice because now Palestinians in Jordan actually outnumber Jordanians. We haven't even talked about the West Bank, which will probably erupt in a revolt against uh, Israel. And then, of course, Syria uh, and Hezbollah. Hezbollah has 140,000 roughly missiles and rockets, of which about 40,000 are top of the line and actually quite accurate. They could probably destroy the city of Haifa and certainly could destroy any Israeli bases in the northern part of uh, Israel. And then you have the air defense systems. <clears throat> and while the air forces aren't impressive, the air defense systems are Russian. Uh, the S-400 operates across Syria and Lebanon. That could easily be put into operation, and that would shoot many of our aircraft down. Then you have the S-300, which would also contribute to the air defense network. And I think we need to understand there are about 90 aircraft on each of the carriers. Uh, all 90 aircraft are not fighters that are designed to deliver ordnance. <clears throat> on each one, perhaps 40 or 50, <clears throat> excuse me, are designed for that purpose. And when you look at the sortie rate, that is the number of aircraft they can launch and then recover, you're talking between the two carriers, perhaps 20 or 30 aircraft at a time. I don't know precisely where the carrier groups are located, but I suspect quite a distance from Israel. Because as you sail into the eastern Mediterranean, you're vulnerable to all sorts of systems from the Turks, the Syrians, the Lebanese, the Hezbollah. And as a result, that means that you've got to fly a long distance, deliver your ordinance, turn around and come back. And we're not postured to refuel them, which means that many of them could have to land in Israel to refuel. Landing in Israel, which is probably going to end up living under a, an almost constant rain of rockets and missiles, can be problematic. Then, of course, you have cruise missiles that can be launched tomahawks, and they're, they're going to have an impact. There's no question about it, but many of those can be shot down. Those are not very fast. They're not hard to target. They're not hard to shoot down. And those air defense systems that I mentioned have shot them down previously. So I think that we overestimate the impact of the naval power. Now, I don't know what kind of Air Force uh, contribution there will be. I know we've moved some B-52s to the region. Where they are and how they could be used is, is a question I can't answer. Yeah. Each B-52 can drop 9,500-pound bombs. Uh, if you if you change the load to have more accurate munitions, say 2,000 pound bombs, they'll they'll carry fewer, but they'll be accurate. But then again, the B-52s can also be shot down. I don't know about the plan to use uh, B-1 or B-2 bombers. And then finally, you have the air forces that are stationed in the region. U.S. air forces they're vulnerable. They're on airfields that are not well protected from an air defense standpoint which is why we're sending over air defense battalions as we as we speak right now. Uh, how many of them are available and how they would be used, I don't know, but most of them are designed to protect the forces that we have in Iraq and Syria. We have about a thousand men up in the northeast corner of Syria, and they're in a very vulnerable position, Lou. Uh, a friend of mine in the building, uh, I'm talking about the Pentagon, said, you know, Doug, they're, they're in a position much like Wake Island in 1942. They're too far away. We can't get to them quickly, and they could easily be overrun. Now, who will do the overrunning? Will that be Shiite militias? Will it be Turkish forces? 
if the Turks actually intervene directly, and I think they will, uh, I don't know. And then, of course, in Iraq, we have some forces as well as in the Gulf region. All of those are within range of various Iranian weapon systems. So I think we have to be very careful. What we don't have that we actually need, Lou, is an army. Uh, the United States Army is about 450,000. And most of the punch in the U.S. Army, that's your mobile armored forces sitting in Poland, Lithuania, and down in uh, Romania. We're not going to be able to move them at all. Uh, if we do, it'll take us a long time to get them somewhere, and we're not going to be able to move the munitions that go with them. That includes artillery and tanks. So we're reliant almost exclusively on air and naval power. And to be frank, Lou, I don't think the people ashore are all that concerned about those carrier battle groups. They have never had a sustained impact. They look powerful. They sound powerful. But when it comes to sustained impact on the ground, on land, not really. So I, <clears throat> I think it's a dangerously slender thread from which to suspend U.S. national strategic interests. Frankly, I think we're overwhelmed. This is not 1991. We don't have the forces we had in 91. We live in a very different environment, and all of the Arab states have changed. Technology has changed. There are many things they can do now that they could not do 50 years ago. They have populations that are actually much better educated that can master technologies that they couldn't master 50 years ago. So I think the Israelis are, are in a very difficult position, and... Uh, I think they ought to reconsider the wisdom of pressing ahead in Gaza the way they're headed. We're talking with Doug McGregor, and we will be right back. We have the foundation. Let's see uh, see what we can build here in terms of an outlook uh, for a, a, a excellent outcome for everyone involved, Israel, the United States, and the region. We'll be right back. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back now. We're talking with Colonel Doug McGregor, uh, and we're talking about the strategic uh, situation, uh, the foundation that uh, all of the decision makers and uh, heads of state will have to uh, take into account. Uh, Doug, the carriers in the eastern Mediterranean, and uh, we know that the uh, Eisenhower was to transit the Suez Canal. Uh, we do not know its precise location. One presumes uh, somewhere uh, off uh, Oman or Yemen. Uh, the, the idea that we have two carriers in such vulnerable positions worries me, uh, particularly the Gerald Ford in the eastern Mediterranean. Uh, there's, a, there's such a thing as a demonstration of power. 
but I, I just see great vulnerability uh, there. I want to get to your thoughts about it. No, I think you're making a good point, Lou. And we forget that when we've been in the Middle East previously, <clears throat> first of all, we were very successful at isolating our opponent. Iraq really had very few friends, very, very limited ability to support itself. We isolated it, entered it, and defeated it. Right now, we are not in a position to isolate the Turks, the Iranians, any of the Arab states. And if we try to, I think we're going to fail. And that means that Israel, if anyone in the region, is isolated. And we are really each, uh, Israel's only friend. And again, <clears throat> you know, we don't have the forces ashore that we once did before. We forget that we put an awful lot of military power into the region in 1990 and again in 2003 and kept it there. We haven't maintained the same levels of military power. And when Donald Trump was president, he recognized that these assets were vulnerable and he wanted to get, for instance, our troops out of Syria and also out of Iraq. Because the consideration then was, how do we protect all of these people? We don't have the depth of structure and force power in the region that we once did. Now, there is some talk about adding two more carrier battle groups. I don't know how far along that is. The idea was that you would put uh, a carrier battle group into the Persian Gulf, the Indian Ocean, or the Red Sea. Uh, that would help. But again, the problem with carrier-based air is it's very limited in terms of its range and sustainability. Uh, that's a, been a complaint about carriers from day one. It, it's an old solution to new problems, and the new problems are not easily defeated by carriers anymore. It, it raises the question, uh, what is the strategic capacity of the civilian and military leadership at this moment? We have a commander-in-chief who is impaired, who is compromised, who is weak, uh, and uh, an uncertain ally, I will put it that way, of Israel. Uh, the suggestion was early on that uh, these carriers were in support of Israel. There is also a view recently expressed on this podcast by Lee Smith, uh, who is a man who knows both the terrain and the psychology and politics of the region. Uh, he thinks those carriers are there to restrain Israel uh, and any actions it might take against Hezbollah. Uh, your thoughts about his thinking? Well, the only way to restrain the Israelis is to call Mr. Netanyahu and say, look, this strategic picture is not very favorable. Timing is terrible. We, we have very few war stocks. We've emptied almost everything into this pit called Ukraine. The war in Ukraine is lost. Uh, the Russians are sitting <clears throat> on everything that is of any real value. And of course, they're sitting in all the areas populated by Russians. The, the Russians would like to end this. And they're moving very slowly in the hopes that the Europeans will wake up and help them end it. If they don't, then I suppose the Russians will advance to the Dnieper. They'll certainly take Kharkov and Odessa. But there's no hope for Ukraine. And we're trying to keep that place on life support, while at the same time, we're, we're now confronted with a much larger and, in my estimation, far more dangerous situation strategically. Because if we proceed as we are trying to right now, and we go to war with Iran, which seems to be the widespread wish on the Hill by everybody, Russia is not going to stand by and allow Iran to take us on alone. Remember, Iran has stood by Russia throughout the Ukraine conflict. 
That means that uh, Russia will also probably back the Turks when the Turks decide to enter. Although we know that Mr. Putin has urged Mr. Erdogan to reconsider and have some patience and give it time. Whether or not Mr. Erdogan will follow that advice, I don't know. But if the, if the Iranians and the Turks are both committed, I suspect that Russia will stand by them. Now, will Russia directly confront us? I don't know. But you can get very confused at sea in the Mediterranean. You've already got Russian vessels out there, not very many, certainly Russian submarines. You have Turkish vessels and Turkish submarines. Uh, I don't know what else is out there besides us and the Israelis, but it's a small area. I mean, if you're an admiral in the U.S. Navy, you look at the eastern Mediterranean and say, this place is a puddle. Where does the United States Navy like to operate? The Pacific and the Atlantic. There's plenty of space. That's where we enjoy a huge strategic advantage over anyone else in the world. We don't have that in the Mediterranean. So I think uh, there's thinking in Washington, finally, that perhaps we've gone too far too fast. But if you're going to restrain Mr. Netanyahu, you have to tell him, look, either you agree to a ceasefire, we sit down, we come up with a conference to sort this child out, or we withdraw our carriers which means he's on his own. And remember, from his standpoint, the carriers are vital if he is going to take on Hezbollah simultaneously. That's his biggest worry in, in the short run. Of course, Hezbollah shrinks to not insignificance, but to a much smaller problem if he has to deal with both Turkey and Iran. And to what degree now does uh, public opinion, how, how is it influenced, in your view, by what has happened with the emergence of such strong anti-Israel, uh, uh, pro-Palestinian radicalism on college campuses, university campuses, uh, the national media, uh, and the Democrat Party, which is obviously aligned with them. Well, it's, it's funny you bring that up. A friend of mine, uh, he's a nice person. He's made lots of money. I've known him for about 40 years. And he said, Doug, where did, where did all these Muslims come from? How could this happen? What is going on on these campuses? And I said, well, you know, we've had a problem. It's called immigration. Immigration is coming back to haunt us. We've invited legally and illegally all sorts of people into the country <clears throat> who have agendas that are fundamentally antithetical to our interests. In other words, they're bringing their conflicts, <clears throat> their hatreds, their bitterness with them into the United States. Same thing is happening in Europe. We are obviously, and I certainly am, inclined to support Israel. I want to see Israel survive. My concern is that we're not acting in a way that would help Israel save itself. We're, in fact, encouraging the Israelis to go down full speed ahead into hell, a hell from which they may not uh, emerge. There are almost 90 million Turks. You have almost the same number of people in Iran. You start running the math. You really think... Six million Israelis are going to prevail. It doesn't make any sense. And under the circumstances, the Israelis have violated one of their own principles. Always try to pitch your enemies against each other. And if you can't do that, then try to fight one at a time. Well, they've blown it. They've united the Sunni and Shia 100% against them in a very short period of time. And I don't think it's, it's a battle I'd want to take on under any circumstances. It's a loser from my standpoint. And you know, you ask about public opinion. Public opinion in the Muslim world is obvious. Public opinion in the United States, that's hard to gauge. 
How, how enthusiastic will Americans be about being drawn into a major regional war? How long before somebody figures out that we have almost no army? How are we going to field something that will make a difference? Where are we going to put these troops? How do they enter the theater? We always bet or at least depended upon access to Egypt in order to get to Israel's support with ground forces. How do we get them in now? All good questions and all difficult to answer. We're going to come right back with Doug McGregor. We're talking about what in the world kind of mess is the world. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back now. We're talking with Colonel Doug McGregor, uh, and he is raising serious, serious issues, strategic issues, fundamental issues about what U.S. policy is and what our our power truly is, military and political power, geopolitical power here. Uh, and, and can we influence outcomes? Uh, that's what it boils down to. Uh, Doug, your thoughts right now about going to war with a commander in chief. Uh, this is not a political question. This is a strategic question, a basic right. national security question. No, that's right. With a, with a commander in chief who obviously is not well, who is impaired and and incapable of coherent thinking, a, a military that is now awash in woke madness that is not only distracting from their their mission, but is seemingly subsuming the time uh, that our general officers should be spending with strategic thinking uh, and and truly uh, asserting our power uh, in pursuit of the U.S. interests. Uh, the word strategy is the key word. <clears throat> Normally, you want to think through carefully what you really want to achieve. In other words, when you're finished doing whatever you propose to do, what do you want the place to look like? What are we trying to achieve? In my judgment, in the region, our, our long-term strategic goal is to preserve the existence of Israel. That should be uppermost in both our minds and the minds of the Israelis. That's not where we're thinking right now. We're emoting. There is no strategic means and ends calculus. There's no realistic appraisal that we're operating six, 7,000 miles from our home. We have limited resources that we can project. We cannot predict with any certainty what kinds of technologies will be used against us that could surprise us. You know, someone once said the most important thing to do when you plan in military affairs is to plan for the worst thing the enemy can do to you. 
Well, what is that? I mean, go down the list and obviously disabling or sinking a carrier is probably number one. Do they have the capacity to do that? And the answer is yes, that capacity exists in the region. And you have to bet on the very high probability if we go to war with Iran, that the Russians will come in to support the Iranians. Uh, under those circumstances, the Turks would be fools to stay out because Mr. Erdogan wants to present himself as the leader of Sunni Islam. He is already the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood in the region, and he leads the Muslim Brotherhood here in North America. So there is no strategic thinking. There's no hard-nosed, sober-minded analysis that would lead us to tell, for instance, as Nixon did in 1973, when the Israelis finally beat back the Egyptians and then crossed the Suez Canal, stop, don't cross that canal. If you cross that canal, the Russians will come in. If the Russians come in, we're committed to a war that we don't want to fight and you won't win. Well, that was Nixon in 1973. We, we need to get back to some sober-minded thinking and understand that no nation can be expected to move beyond the limits of our interests. What are our interests? Is it in our interest to go to war with the Muslim world? No, I don't think it is. That doesn't mean we support them. We absolutely support Israel. It means that we recognize the limitations on our power and abilities. The people in Washington don't seem to have any sense of limitations, none whatsoever. And as far as Mr. Biden is concerned, uh, I think he's a cutout. I'm not sure he has much of a role whatsoever. He reads what's put in front of him. He listens to what people decide to tell him and he moves. I, I think that there, there's a group of people that we don't even know with absolute certainty are running affairs, but certainly Mr. Blinken in the State Department talks and acts a lot like the commander in chief. Yeah, he does. And he sounds a lot like President Obama uh, in his uh, rhetorical, uh, uh, what would I call it, uh, rhetorical uh, coloring uh, of events uh, to suit himself, not necessarily the facts. We're, we're uh, again, a commander in chief who is incapable of leading. We have a, in my opinion, a Pentagon that has not demonstrated it's capable of winning a war in a very long time. And it's a more, it's it's far more than just simply the idiotic uh, doctrine of long wars that captured uh, the thinking of the uh, Pentagon uh, and the neocons and, uh, you know, maybe both political parties for a while. But this is a military that is, to your point earlier, this is not the U.S. military that we're accustomed to Uh, 70%. One report talking about 70, 80% of the U S army is not physically fit uh, for combat or just basic PT. I I mean, what in the world is going on and why isn't more made of it until the moment at which we just might need a fighting army? Well, people uh, don't like bad news, and uh, bad news never plays well. The other thing is that we have a lot of people permanently living in 1991. As far as they're concerned, Desert Storm just happened a couple of years ago. They aren't asking any hard questions. You go back to the Korean War and look at the disaster that befell us in 1950. We were almost driven into the sea off the peninsula by a, a North Korean army. It wasn't even the Chinese army. And people said, what happened? Well, We stopped doing many of the things that we did during the Second World War. We dismantled a lot of our capability. We shrank the size of the force. At the time that the Korean War broke out, we had one carrier that we could send into action. 
uh, we're, we're in a very similar position uh, that we were at the beginning of the Korean War. The good news is that we're not yet trying to defend the indefensible. In other words, we're not sitting in the Pusan perimeter, but we don't want to get there. Uh, but no one is thinking rationally. Everything is about emotion. It's the same thing in the Muslim world. They see numbers about 3,500 children killed by the Israelis. The Israelis look at pictures of butchered Israeli citizens, and everyone is emoting. You know, you pay people that run these governments, whether they're Netanyahu or Mr. Biden or anybody else, to be thoughtful, to restrain their emotions, to be sober-minded, to look at the risks, and not to take outrageous risks. That doesn't seem to be happening. And I'm not sure how many people in Washington, frankly, are capable of that uh, depth of uh, consideration and contemplation uh, and reason. Uh, it's a disturbing time in, in this country, uh, even absent all of the uh, foreign uh, competing uh, and uh, dangerous uh, challenges that we're facing. There's another part of the equation that we haven't talked about, and very quickly, I'd just like to turn to it. There is the assumption that the United States would simply react conventionally, predictably, uh, and that somehow the enemy is highly predictive here. Uh, we're, and I'm talking about, obviously, tactical nuclear weapons, right. because this has to be a standoff. I, mean, I believe, and I want to get your view, I believe whatever we do from here on for the United States, because of what we've talked about, the weakness of our uh, traditional army, uh, are the the limitations that are so many, that it has to be a standoff war, uh, bringing technology and uh, brute power to the battlefield immediately, because we know that the doctrine of the, the long war is, is a loser every time for the United States. Oh, you're 100% right. And I think we do want to rely on standoff fires, uh, standoff attack, precision strike. The problem is that there's no evidence that that wins wars. In 1991, we launched 40 days and 40 nights of precision strike all over Iraq, and it fundamentally did not dislodge the Iraqi military from its positions in Kuwait. We had to go in on the ground. The Israelis are, do not have that large a force. Their force right now that they mobilized is larger than the U.S. Army. But when you look at the numbers arrayed against them, and keep in mind that the Syrian border is about, uh, for, for Turkish forces, a 12-hour march down to the Golan Heights. Once you're on the Golan Heights, there's nothing between you, really, and the heartland of Israel, that is uh, Tel Aviv and Haifa. Nothing there to stop you. Uh, how do you deal with that? Can you destroy everything that's en route uh, on the Syrian plain? Do you turn to a nuclear weapon, which is what the Israelis could do, that's very dangerous because, as I pointed out, the notion that your opponents will not be able to respond is misleading because we know the Turks can get a hold of a nuclear weapon. We don't want to use nuclear weapons, but if we're up against the wall and we can't win, one wonders what we might do. And I think that's your point. That was always my concern in Ukraine. We could never prevail against the Russians in Ukraine conventionally. If we tried, what would happen when we failed? Well, then someone would say we'll have to use a nuclear weapon or threaten its use to avoid being uh, annihilated. I, I hope we don't get to that point. I'd rather not. That's why 
even though there's big support for the Israelis to punish their opponents, you have to step back and think about the consequences of this total war of annihilation that Mr. Netanyahu wants to wage. You know, there was an attempt, I'm told, by Mr. Blinken to come up with some sort of relocation plan for the people in Gaza. All of the Muslim countries were appalled. They were repelled by that idea. They said, this is their home. This is where they live. You're not going to drive them out. And not drive them out and also not make them their problem, which has been the Arab attitude for a very long time. Of course. Colonel Doug McGregor, as always, instructive, illuminating, insightful, and thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks, Lou, for all that you do. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Our guest tomorrow on The Great America Show will be attorney John Eastman. The former Trump attorney in his impeachment trials is now facing disbarment in California for having represented President Trump. John is in a battle with the California Bar Association. We take up all of that and more. Please join us here tomorrow. Join us each and every day and follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Lou Dobbs, on Facebook and Instagram at Lou Dobbs Tonight, and check out LouDobbs.com. Thanks, everybody. God bless you, and may God bless America. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.